0: That's 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper yes, deck. Intensity is not for fear. Oh, mercy.
1: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, back with you. As always, it is Super Bowl week. Um, We have some flurries of baseball moves to talk about the Nationals just made over the past couple of days, including one breaking just before uh, we uh, started recording. Um, We are exactly two weeks away from the Nationals' pitchers and catchers reporting from uh, two, rather, West Palm Beach in Florida for spring training, which is exciting. Super Bowl always means baseball is right around the corner. Um, we're also going to touch on uh, some of the best moves and whether positions are better or worse for the Nationals in 2020 than they were in 2019. But we have a lot to get to in this week's episode of the Mass and Alexa podcast, which, of course, is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Before we get to all of that, though, do want to touch on, obviously, the tragic news over the past couple of days in the sporting world. we obviously a baseball podcast. Paul and I are fortunate enough to sit up here and talk about baseball for a living. But we are sports fans. Um, we do appreciate the basketball and the NBA. And, of course, the Kobe Bryant news from Sunday morning was the tragic news of his passing along with his daughter Gianna and seven others in a horrible helicopter uh, crash just outside of L.A., Um, just sent shockwaves uh, of of grief throughout the not just sporting world but the entire world Um, anyone who knew or thought of Kobe Bryant beforehand just could not believe the news it was so sudden it was so dramatic Um, and and our thoughts and prayers go out to his friends and family and those who knew him um, throughout this whole week it's been a tough week so far
0: yeah of course Kobe and his daughter Gianna on that helicopter and seven other people as well there were some you know Connections to the baseball world as well. A a college baseball coach and a couple members of his family passed away. It was so bizarre, the timing, because we had just been talking about Kobe and the national media had just had its spotlight on Kobe, uh, considering he had just been passed by LeBron James in the all-time scoring list. And, you know, to lose a guy at at 41 years old when he had just begun his post-basketball career and you know a guy of his drive his intensity and his work ethic was going to accomplish so many other great things um and he he used that that work ethic that intensity and brought it to every aspect of his life that's how he was as a father um that's how he was you know when he was making short films that won oscars yeah um and there were so many other things that he had yet to give the world um and it it is such a tragic loss not just for the basketball world not just for the ba- uh, for the sports world uh but for the world for the world in general to lose an icon such as Kobe Bryant yeah the m- black mamba obviously
1: um his nickname as a basketball player and then mamba mentality is his mindset as a basketball player i think a lot of people don't understand if you just see him as a basketball player you just kind of hear that phrase and think, oh, that's just, you know, his competitiveness. He's a super competitor and, and a hard worker. Well, no, I, I, I like to think that he, he applied that aspect to his his entire life and um, that mentality of he's going to be the best at whatever he does. Uh, like you mentioned, he, you know, directed and uh, I think wrote also a, a short film, Dear Basketball, which won an Oscar. He, he applied that life to, but that mentality to being a father and a husband, an advocate for women's sports, not just basketball, but he's a big supporter of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. Um, advocate for basketball across the country and across the world. Uh, a friend. We saw so many former teammates come to tears over the past couple of days talking about Kobe Bryant. It was just a tragic, tragic loss, um, and it's something you can't plan for. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, like, you know, had he been sick or something, you could anticipate it and be a little more emotionally prepared for it to happen and go down, but in a tragic way like that, um, it's just it's heart wrenching, it's heartbreaking. Um, and again, we just send our deepest prayers and sympathies to his friends and family who are, are obviously going through just an unimaginable time. I can't even imagine what they're going through right now on an emotional level, losing a father, a husband, a friend, a former teammate, a mentor, an icon. I mean, there's just he touched so many lives throughout his career, whatever he did. The flood of stories that are coming out over the past couple of days from people all across the world and all aspects of life has been really, really something to, to see. And um, he was just like you said, a cultural icon that will be remembered forever as such.
0: Yeah. And it just, you know, this is a cliche, but it, it just is another reminder of how short life is yeah. and, and how precious our time is here. Um, I, I know like many other people like me, uh, you know, I immediately texted my friends. I called my parents. Um, and you know, it, it it's just a moment where you, you take stock of the, the great things that you have in your life and the people that you have in your life. I'm sure, you know, Kobe's family never thought that that would be the last time that they would talk to Kobe before he left on that helicopter. I'm sure that was, the, you know, LeBron James wasn't thinking that's the last time I'm going to get to talk to Kobe when yeah. he spoke to him that night. Um, it, it's all stuff that reminds you that you know our time is short, and we gotta we gotta tell the people we love that we love them all the time. It's yeah. never never too much to. Um, to tell those people in our lives that uh, how much they mean to us.
1: Yeah, you always hear when tragic stuff like this happens, people saying, you know, you never want to regret not saying I love you. So, like, that's even, you know, it just makes so the small things in life just seem so meaningless when you look at stuff like this happening. And um, did you did you hear the story? Not really story, I guess, but like that him and his wife Vanessa had a deal that they would never be in the helicopter at the same time for this exact scenario, which is just. Heartbreaking in itself, but like, it's, you know, it's, it's tough and, and, you know, and and that's something that was every day for the Bryant family, you know, Kobe took that helicopter almost every day to practice as a player into games in L.A., uh, because he lived an hour south of the city and in, in the Staples Center, and um, yeah, it he made was sense. flying, flying. Yeah, I mean the LA traffic, it made sense. I mean he had the means. That pilot I saw like had over like eight hundred thousand hours wor- or eighty thousand hours worth of flying experience. It was just a once in a blue moon shot that you know that accident happened because everything was prepared and and you hope not there was no malpractice or or you know God forbid like a mechanical function on that plane. It was just just a freak accident and um, you know, thought, again, thoughts and prayers. And hopefully we don't have to have a conversation like this again in the near, in the near future. Yeah. Um, but with that said, we didn't want to start this podcast without touching on Kobe a little bit. Obviously, again, like we said, it had touched um, the, the sporting world. Um, so being a sports podcast, you know, he affected both of our lives uh, as someone we looked up to growing up. He was the NBA for us. So we wanted to make sure we uh, at least touched on a little bit, start this podcast, but um, like I said earlier, we are a baseball podcast we're talking about the Nationals. Thanks for tuning in um, on Mass and Nationals Facebook, Mass and All Access Facebook page, Mass and Nationals Twitter account, or YouTube account as well. You can also give us a follow on Twitter at Bobby underscore for myself, at Paul Mancano for Paul. Because like I said, at the start of the show. We're exactly two weeks away. Pitchers and catchers yep. report to West Palm Beach in two weeks, um, which is which is just insane. <laughs> it's crazy how short this offseason has been when you win a World Series that goes seven games. You know, we were flying back uh, from Houston on Halloween, and then now here we are, flash forward, two and a half months later, we're getting ready for pitchers and catchers in baseball again. Um, some quick housekeeping uh, things to touch on before we get into the nitty. We want to talk about some of the best moves that and worst moves maybe the Nationals have made this offseason as we get closer to spring training. We also want to talk about... Uh, specific positions, which improved the most, which maybe got worse um, as the offseason has progressed. And we'll talk about um, the MLB in a greater uh, scope as well a little bit. And we'll touch on that more next week, uh, which teams improved the most, which teams kind of took a step back as we enter uh, the, uh, the spring training, the, the season. Um, but first of all, house cleaning stuff, the big news over the weekend obviously was Friday night, the news broke that Ryan Zimmerman is back officially a one-year deal can earn up to five million dollars this season uh, the nationals making that official just a couple days ago had a conference call and talked to reporters Paul this is something that we have been talking about that's been on our checklist all off season we knew it was coming it was just a matter of when not if and um, we finally have it I think Nationals fans uh, breathe a collective sigh of relief. Um, that he that Mr. National is back he's wearing number 11 he's going to be at first base you'll hear his name called on opening day um, wearing that World Series championship patch and I mean I think it's just a good move on all parts to bring back Ryan Zerman
0: yeah the longer it went on it it felt like you know they would not still be talking about it if it wasn't going to happen almost you know they I don't think they would want to keep a guy like him hanging, I think you think back to like when Jason Worth became a free agent after his seven-year deal expired, and um, the you know the talk after that, they they kind of shut it down. You know, it was kind of like thanks, thank we thank Jason Worth for his contributions to this team. They didn't expressly say he's not returning, but you know it. it that was the sense that you got the sense that he got here was that he was probably going to return right um and you know he ended up signing for a whole lot less than the option that was never going to be exercised right. by the nationals of course you know that just didn't make sense for anybody but you thought maybe he would get i don't know a third of the 18 million dollars that his option was for instead he signs for what two million yep. so with incentives which will certainly help and and you know we don't know exactly what those um are based on, but, um, you know, that's a pretty low number to get for a guy that, you know, is your franchise face and still can clearly contribute, still hit a home run in game one of the World Series, and, you know, as um, though much has been made about his advanced age and about his injury history, he still clearly shows that uh, he can contribute, um, maybe not every day, and we'll see exactly how much Davey Martinez wants to use him, Um, but he is certainly a, a key piece to the team.
1: We heard Ryan Zerman himself talk about it all last postseason. Max Scherzer defiantly defended him when a reporter asked about Ryan Zerman during the postseason. We heard players also talk about how he's got so much more ball left to play during Winterfest a couple weekends ago. I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, and he Zimmerman said himself at the uh, documentary premiere, he's like, I, I'm either playing golf or I'm playing for the Nationals. And yeah. um, so it was it was a no-brainer. He wanted to play here. This is where his family is. This is where he made his livelihood. He made his whole career. He entered the league as a National. He wants to exit the league on his own terms as a National. Um, uh, in terms of the money-wise, quotes coming out of his press, uh, conference phone call um, the other night saying that, you know, money wasn't a factor for me. I I wanted to be here because it is a chance to chase titles, to win another championship, and to be around this group of guys. He went out of his way to talk about his teammates and, and the people in that clubhouse, Davey Martinez, the coaching staff, all the players, all the guys they have coming up in the minor league system, the front office, the ownership he wants to be a part of this organization, this culture that they have built over the past couple of years under this new regime of David Martinez. And, and you know, it's home for him. And that's where he wanted to be because he, he likes being here. He likes the, the way it fits. It might be a different scenario if, you know, we're talking about not winning a World Series or, you know, there might be some clubhouse rumblings or, you know, some guys and I'm not getting along. or But it, it would just, it's, you know, no matter how last season ended, these guys meshed together and they loved playing with each other and for each other, and for David Martinez and Mike Rizzo, um, so it's something that he wanted to be a part of moving forward.
0: And on the baseball side, exactly how many games he does play this year is going to be interesting, because they have Eric Thames in the mold, in, in the fold, rather, who you know fills a, a Matt Adams type of role, but slightly better hitter than Matt Adams. Is he going to get more opportunities than Matt adams did and of course they have howie kendrick who can play all over the diamond but if every other spot is taken he's going to be your first baseman and that's probably his ideal position considering his age and defensive limit uh limitations so mm. you know i i think if if zimmerman is fully healthy for the full for the whole year and that's still a big if he would probably play only what 80 some games yeah maybe maybe 100 yeah it's tough to say and and you know you don't want to count for other injuries that of course injuries will crop up and um, especially for guys a a pretty older infield like the Nats have Um, but if everybody's healthy Zimmerman is is not going to play nearly as many games as uh, he would if you know a couple years ago when he was an all-star and he played what 140 150 Mm -hmm. so you know, it is it is definitely a reduced role for Zimmerman.
1: Yeah, he said, and I think he mentioned in his press conference, too, that he figures he has around 300 350 at-bats left in him. Solid at-bats, you know, and that's going to come around that game mark, probably less than 100, around 80. And you have Eric Thames, you have Harry Kendrick who can play first base, you have a handful of, you know, Estrubo Cabrera in a pinch if you need it. You have guys that can play that position when needed. Um, you know, you also take into account your interleague games that – on the road that you're going to use a DH and that's almost like a half night off for one of those guys if, if they play that role. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's going to be a tricky process for Dave Martinez to fill out lineup cards day in and day out with so many names and only some X amount of spaces to fill. But I mean, in a sense, it's a good problem to have. You have strong bats. If you find a good rotation of getting guys that are at bats and keep them in a the rhythm, it could work out really well for the nationals in terms of you have experienced power hitters um, playing first base, you know, not that, imp- I mean, obviously every position is important, but, you know, it's not third base or shortstop, let's be clear on that. But you have guys going in and out that are staying fresh. You're not you're not wearing down one guy, which could lead to an injury or something like that. So, yeah, it, I think it's it makes sense on all accounts, and, and he could pay dividends on the field, not just for Ryan Zimmerman and the Nationals, but you look at Thames can get an extra day off here and there. Howie Kendrick can get off his feet every now and then. Um, so that helps a lot, too. News breaking right before we start recording the podcast. The Nationals have acquired right-handed reliever Ryan Harper. No relation to the other Harper that some Nationals fans, I think, remember from a couple of years back. Uh, Ryan. Ryan. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah guy. that's the one we're yeah, thinking yeah. of, right? Acquired from the Twins. He was the Nationals. Uh, oh, sorry. The Twins. Uh, uh, th- he was a rookie last year as a 30-year-old. Uh, had a 3.81 ERA, a 1.178 WHIP, and 61 appearances, all relief appearances. And they, the Nationals, gave up uh, Hunter McMahon, who was a 29 draft pick this past season. Um, again, the Nationals parting ways with the draft pick from the previous season. We've seen that before. McRae's not shy to do that. Um, Harper was designated for assignment by the Twins when they signed Josh Donaldson just a couple, uh, just last week um and so he was been on kind of on, on that waiver wire for a while that's why the nationals are pouncing on him he fills the four, the nationals 40-man roster two weeks ahead of spring training not a hard ball thrower this is according to mark zuckerman not a hard thrower fastball averaging about 89 miles per hour but he threw his mid-70s curveball uh more a whopping 60 percent of the time and struck out 50 and only 10 walks in uh over 54 innings
0: and that three eight one ERA is pretty solid. Appeared in sixty one games, so was durable last year, and struck out fifty compared to ten walks. Yeah, you know, so clearly, even if he doesn't have premier fastball velocity, he's got control. Um, and if you drop that 381 2019 ERA in the Orioles bullpen, that would have been the second best ERA of any reliever in that bullpen aside from Daniel Hudson, who of course did not spend the whole season nationals bullpen or nationals bullpen rather, who of course did not spend the whole season in DC. So yeah, um, that's pretty impressive. You know, that <laughs> considering this is the, this was statistically the worst bullpen in baseball last year. They need as many guys as, as, they can get. And of course it helps that they brought in Will Harris from the Astros. It helps that they re-signed Daniel Hudson, but there's going to be no shortage of you know they, they need no shortage of arms in terms of um, guys to to use out of that bullpen. So just adding another guy potentially in that mix that can eat up some later innings for you. Uh, maybe a sixth or seventh inning guy he was used six seven eight last year pretty much for the Twins. So. Um, you can use him however you need him. Davey Martinez, another guy that is better than the last guy in the roster.
1: Yeah, not often you come across a 30-year-old rookie, um, so a guy who's a little older on the older side, but it's, um, I mean, it's had some experience uh, in the A level and, and the higher levels, um, pitched admirably, like you just mentioned, all the numbers in, in his first um, year full-time in the major leagues, has options, can be optioned down, um, some flexibility there in, in the Nationals' bullpen, just like you said, another arm. The that David Martinez can throw out and and you know we'll see how he goes along with like a Tanner Rainey or something like that and you know, what what sort of setup role he he kind of fits in but another arm added just two weeks before spring training some other small news Nationals signed uh Wellington Castillo to a minor league deal with the invitation to spring training last week as well adding some veteran catcher depth obviously Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes coming back for the season but that's they don't have. Veteran depth in the minor league system, so this is a signing that you stack him at Triple A Fresno. God forbid, in an emergency—he's your backup catcher in case of an injury coming up. Who you know, we remember him—the um, 2017 when he was with the Orioles, right here, and he you know, put up solid numbers. I think hit over 280, and I think over 20 home runs. I mean, it was, if the, I mean, if the Nationals can get something like that again, God forbid if he's needed, take that every day. Um, he's a power bat catcher, experience. Good to stack in the minor yeah. league system a couple weeks before spring training.
0: And what, Gomes is 31, and uh, Suzuki is 35-ish. So, yeah, um, you know, you, you could potentially need these uh, a guy like Wellington Castillo. So, yeah, so yeah. I'll pick up.
1: So there's a couple uh, minor league stuff uh, happening over, not minor league stuff, but just minor notes over the past couple of days uh, for the Nationals side. Now, to the main event. Um, the Nationals, again, two weeks away from spring training. Are they better, worse, or the same? as they were in 2019. We're about to start the new season. Obviously, all kind of a microscope. uh, Being the World Series champions, everyone's going to be looking at them to defend their title. Teams are going to be coming after them. Are they built better, worse, or the same heading into this season than they were last year?
0: Yeah, and I think it's an interesting topic that Mark Zuckerman, of course, explored on MassInSports.com. But we have different opinions than Mark, so we're going to share our opinions. I think if you go position by position. I think... Pretty much the the one that's almost exactly the same is that starting rotation. Um, you know they they that fifth spot is still technically unsettled, but they have a bevy of options there if they want to go with an Eric Fetty and Austin Voth or Joe Ross in that fifth spot. But one two three four, despite the fact that they're slightly older and that might hurt them a little bit in terms of injuries, in terms of uh, performance decline, that is pretty much the same one two three four punch. And I think they're just about the same in terms of starting rotation.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's funny in um, Mark's write-up about the pitching staff, better, worse, are the same, the only one that took a step back was Steven Strasburg, which is kind of funny that you just expect. I mean, he was so good last year. It was also his one really strong, consistent season in a long time. No injuries, stayed healthy, made – his 30 plus starts, obviously World Series MVP, and going 5 0 through the postseason. You just have to figure that the bar is so high for a guy his age, it's going to take a step back.
0: Yeah, well, and the fact that he was so durable last year, right. I think that is, you know, that's clearly not the norm with Steven Strasberg. So a little bit regression towards the mean, I think, is expected. Obviously,
1: we're not predicting he's going to get hurt, but we have a track record knowing that something could come up and, you know, he might miss a start or two here or there. But at the same time, you know, his bar, he set the bar so high for himself after a stellar 2019. I think it's unreasonable to expect he'll continue to grow at this point in his career. If anything, you want him to stay the same. A slight regression is probably fair to expect too, but that's still an excellent number two starting pitcher. You know, any team will take that every five days right after Max Scherzer as well.
0: Exactly. And then moving on to the bullpen, it's, I think, undoubtedly improved. Yes. I, I don't think there's a case to be made. They, they brought back Daniel Hudson who, you know, we talked about on this podcast. He's, he, his Numbers with the Nats last year were better than his career numbers, but still, if you get anything close to what he gave you last year in the playoffs and in the second half of the season, he's going to be improvement over what they had. And Will Harris, same case. Yep. I mean, you know, even if he doesn't deliver his career numbers of a you know, 2-5-ish a, a ERA, he's still, so long as he's out there and pitching, he's going to be better than what they just had. And, you know, some minor additions. Um, you hope Tanner Rainey can be a little bit better um obviously bringing in Ryan Harper um they are I think undoubtedly improved in that bullpen which they needed to be they yeah. you know it was going to be an uphill climb if they were going to try to get back there with the same bullpen that they had last year they needed to address it before the season they couldn't wait until midseason like they've done every previous year they needed to address it now and they did and I think it's definitely better
1: yeah I think it's so I think so too but it's also funny if you look back at it, we're, we might have said the same thing this time last year with the additions of Trevor Rosenthal and Kyra Bearclaw. We're like, oh, yeah, they're def- definitely better. Two experienced relievers, yeah. guy who can who just had a showcase throwing 100. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way, but I think we have a better track record of Daniel Hudson and Will Harris, specifically Harris, because, I mean, he, yes, he's older, but he's been one of the most consistent, durable relief pitchers in baseball over the past handful of years in his entire career with the Astros. Um, and Hudson might be a question mark because – you know, he has some health issues, too, in his in his past. And, and um, he hasn't always been that consistent in terms of his numbers. And he had a stellar second half. No one's taking anything away from that. But can that be expanded over a full course of a season? And then also, can Sean Doodle stay healthy, too? I mean, keep in mind, yes, he's been fantastic when he can pitch. He hasn't been always healthy with the time with the Nationals. Can they can? David Martinez rely on Doolittle, Hudson, and Harris being healthy and there and available throughout the season. That's going to be the biggest question mark. But I agree. I think they're undoubtedly better to start the season than maybe they have in a handful of years. Yeah. Uh,
0: In terms of outfield, I think that's another position where they are just about exactly the same. You know, they might have – obviously, the three players are the the same as last year. I think where they could could potentially have a little slight drop-off is with Adam Eaton, just getting a little bit older. He's obviously had some injuries in the past, but – Juan Soto is only going to get better. Victor Robles is only going to be- get better. So, you know, I think I would put this right now conservatively as the same with the potential that they could be a little bit better.
1: Yeah, and I'm I, i, I going to kind of go along with how Mark rated it too. Kind of along those same lines. You're probably going to get a step down from Adam Eaton just due to age and, you know, the way his body is, you know, growing and, and aging. I think we're going to get a big standout season from Victor Robles. I think this is the year, you know, he was trying to chase down that rookie of the year last year, fell short. I think his we're going to see a similar jump from what Juan Soto did his rookie year to his sophomore year with Victor Robles from his rookie year to his full rookie year to his sophomore year this season. I think he's going to break out and be a star. And with Juan Soto, you know, I mean – Obviously, you you expect a young player to continue to get better every and every year, but, you know, he's so good already. How much? I mean, how much better can he get? And at one point, do opposing pitchers kind of not figure him out but give him a harder time? I mean, is he really going to be this good, sustainable throughout the course of his career? I, I'm i not saying regression. I'm not saying – but I think around the same, if not maybe a little worse, which is still really good. Don't get me wrong. It's still going to be one of the best outfielders in baseball and one of the best biggest superstars in baseball – in left field for the Nationals with Juan Soto. But I think it's, you know, if he gets better, oh, my God, we're having a different conversation because we're then talking about maybe one of the best baseball players we've ever seen.
0: Yeah, well, if he if he is better than he was in 2019, he's an MVP candidate. Yeah, he's
1: going to be an instant MVP candidate,
0: which I think is not
1: out of the question for Juan no. Soto. Uh, but he's gonna take it. He has to take another step, and that's just sometimes hard. To, from a nineteen to twenty to a 20, 21 year old. At some point, you know, young guys are going to struggle. How does he respond to that? We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But he could just be one of those. He's a different breed, and, and 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 really just take this and run with it and become an MVP candidate.
0: Exactly. So across the board, just about the same, but could get some ticks up, could get some ticks down.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's you can say the same about yeah. it with any team. And I think if you're asking me to grade right now, I'm gonna say the Nats are. About the same.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the infield um, is going to be uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because I think when you look at the infield as a whole, Trey Turner is still a shortstop. That's going to be the same. You know, Ryan Zimmerman slash Eric Thames is going to be pretty much the same as Ryan Zimmerman slash Matt Adams from last year. And then short or second base and third base. I think you're going to get drop-off at third, no matter who plays there. No matter what combination of players you have in there, whether it's as Drupal Cabrera, if you put Starlin Castro at third base a little bit, if you put Howie Kendrick at third base, I think regardless, you're not going to match the production offensively and defensively that Anthony Rendon gave right. you. And then at second base, if Starlin Castro is your your everyday second baseman, I think you could get a slight tick up than what you had over Brian Dozier last year. So it's a, it's a mixed bag in the infield.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think first base is probably the same. Again, it's going to depend on how David Martinez rotates those three guys at first base. It could be a lot better, I think, because if you, again, if you get fresh legs every three days between those three guys and they're just crushing the ball and playing solid defense, again, don't we shouldn't understate how good a defensive first baseman Ryan Zimmerman is. I mean, he makes so many plays over there that I think it's brushed under the radar um, when you're talking about his overall production to the team. He plays really solid first base um, defensively. So I think that goes with it, too. Uh, But yeah, with your Anthony Rendon point, I mean, it's unrealistic, I think, to expect this team to fill an Anthony Rendon with a handful of veterans. I mean, I think it's a fair and smart and definitely financially sound way of going about it. Um, You can probably expect to maybe get close to what Anthony Rendon, but you're you're basically have you're basically signing three guys to cover one position um, or one production of one player. Um, that's tough to do in, in any in any sport, in any case. Um, again, I think the Anthony Rendon signing and, and the decision to move on from him was right for both parties in terms of financial finances, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a step back at third base. You know, is this the year Trey Turner takes, takes off and becomes, you know, a star like we expected him to be over the past couple of years? I mean, he played all last year hurt with that right index finger, Got that taken care of. He still had a pretty solid year, even with that injury. Can he take the next step and become, you know, a, a mainstay, you know, one of the best shortstops in the game? I think that's a question. And I think you're also right. Starlin Castro at second base. Defensively, yeah, that's definitely, I think, an improvement. Also, his versatility helps. Um, Brian Dozier didn't produce at the plate like we expected him to, so that's not a big of a shoes to fill. So it's almost like anything you can give us is kind of an improvement, and I'm also taking Howie Kendrick out of that equation, lumping him most with the first baseman. So, yeah, like you said, infield's a mixed bag. It could be better, worse, the same all over the board. I'm really keying in on, you know, how do they cover what's left by Anthony Rendon with three guys, and then if uh, Trey Turner can take that next step into a star yeah. shortstop
0: it's almost difficult to parse because we don't have defined positions for these guys right it's almost easier to look at the lineup one through nine and go first yeah <laughs> you know leadoff hitter second but we don't know the order as well so right. That's um, true too. Yeah. if um, we were just
1: going to kind of guess trey although i'll say it better
0: it's going to be interesting with uh, davy martinez mentioned on sirius xm that trey turner might not be the leadoff hitter next year so adam eaton adam eaton potentially victor robles
1: a lot of options a lot of options I mean it's it's his head must be like just going crazy <laughs> yeah. and we're still two weeks away from reporting like yeah I mean he doesn't have to fill up lineups for another like three weeks but still like and and obviously spring training lives especially at the start are just kind of you know getting guys quick at bats and then getting back to the workout fields but I mean it's what do the numbers say what do the matchups say it's going to be a is you know we're not going to have like we had last year numbers like one through four or five locked in every day it's going to be probably changing on a daily basis
0: yeah and then in terms of the catchers real quickly pretty much the same if not slight tick worse just because everybody's a year older i looked it up gomes is 32 um and of course kurt suzuki i think is entering his 36 seed age 36 season so potential to be a little bit worse same players in those positions of course but considering their age, I think just a tick worse.
1: And I think, well, Kurt had a good, had solid season too. But I, I think if they can get about the same, in a sense, that's that's not obviously not better by definition. But like that's what you better than you expect. Because I think people are expecting them to take a step back. But if they can get to what they were last year at some at any level, maybe even a little better for Jan Gomes, which is again not realistically. An expectation, but if, if you get that production, then bringing back these two guys is, is be, might become one of the best signings for this team in the offseason.
0: Exactly. Um, Of the moves that the Nationals have made this offseason, do you have a best move, favorite move, and a worst move, least favorite move? I think, I think the best
1: move is probably getting Will Harris. I think adding that veteran arm... The bullpen, because also the way it went down, if you remember, like everyone, like fans were kind of like, but he's going to be old. Why aren't we bringing back Daniel Hudson? And then they bring back Daniel Hudson the next week. So I think bringing back Hudson coupled with adding Will Harris, getting another veteran, quote unquote, three-headed monster in that bullpen. Again, I think this might be the best Nationals bullpen they're going to be starting a season with in a long time in a couple of years. since that Madsen Kinsler Doolittle trio from 2017. But uh, I think that is, like you said, it was best for Mike Rizzo to address that now as opposed to midseason.
0: Yeah. I would also go the same with the slight tweak. I would, it, yeah, just it, it pretty much the same thing. My best move would be bring Daniel Hudson back because Will Harris little bit older, 35 years old, and you're signing him to a three-year three deal for $24 million. That's a big commitment to make to an older guy. But the fact that you were able to get Daniel Hudson as insurance on two years, what, $11 million? That's huge. Yeah. Um, I think that just given the value of that guy um, and the, the value of that contract, I think that the, while I'm tempted to say Harris, I think the Hudson move, um, just because it's a safer bet, um, I think is... is I think the Nats' best move so far of the offseason.
1: Yeah, and and I, I don't want to underplay, like, bringing back Steven Strasburg, obviously, too. That's a huge one. But that was also something we kind of expected Yeah, along with the Zimmerman. Like, we kind of knew it was coming, so it's like, yeah, it's a great move, but, like, that's wasn't surprising.
0: Right, and I think the only thing that would still concern me just a little bit about Strasburg is, of course, the seven years, considering he's over 30. So, yeah. you know, that that just adds just a little bit of concern, whereas with, the you know, these minor signings, a lot lower risk. Yeah. Um... In terms of least favorite move... It's hard to pick one. It is tough to pick one. Um, if I had to give you mine right now, I I might go with the obvious, which is the move they didn't make, which is not bring back Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Just because you lose that production and, and how difficult it we're going to find it to replace that production at third base. But in terms of a move that they actually made, a signing or a trade, it's tough to point to something right now and say that's going to bite them. I think, the, honestly, the chance that has the the... the the move that has the biggest chance of biting them in the rear is the Will Harris signing. Yeah. Uh, Because it is, it has a much higher ceiling than these other deals, but it, it comes with a lot higher risk. So we could be in a few months if he's injured, if he's not pitching well, if he doesn't look like the same guy, we could be saying that was the worst move. But at this point it's, it's tough to look that far down the road.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and talking about letting Anthony Rendon walk. Yes. That's on, on, on paper. It's a bad move because he's, your best player and one of the best third baseman in baseball, but then if they bring him back, you're maybe not getting a Will Harris, you maybe not bringing back Howie Kendrick and Estudio Cabrera, or getting an Eric Thames, stuff like that. So it, it kind of you know we talked we use this analogy all off season with the domino effect. So you know that's great you bring back Anthony Wendell, but then you're kind of missing out on these guys. That's why they're, they're they are taking a risk that they're going to couple you know three players basically to cover his production for from from one guy. Um, I would agree. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing that really strikes me as like, mm, that's not a great move. I mean, because like, Will Harris has a track record, like we said, has experience. You, you know, if he would have to completely bottom out to not work out, if he is, you know, has an ERA closer to three as opposed to a two five, I, mean, you'll, I think the Nationals will still take that. I mean, considering where their bullpen was last year, again, they can really only go up. So entering the season, you, you can't have a start like you did last season. You know, no 19 and 31 in 2020, please and thank you. If you if you are starting neck and neck with the Braves, to, you have a better chance of, you know, winning the division. That's still, I think, their best bet to repeat is win the division first. Um, So you can't have a rough start like you did last year, and I think they're more set up to avoid that than they have been in the past in terms of their bullpen. So it is tough to pick just one move that you don't necessarily love
0: right exactly um before we get out of here do you have quickly a, a favorite move of the offseason we are I mean, just wi- about winding down on free agency most moves most teams are settled most rosters are settled I had uh, a favorite or least favorite i'll start with mine i think my favorite move might be the diamond back signing madison Bumgarner, mm. five, okay. years, uh, five years five years 85 million i think for the you know uh, much has been made about his age he's not that old he has a long track record, um, which could hurt him in terms of his, you know, it, you know, his body breaking down on him, but well, we haven't yet seen that. I think he's still a solid uh, number three, number two even um, guy out of in your starting rotation. $85 million seems pretty cheap. Um, Baumgartner would be my favorite move of the offseason so far.
1: Can my favorite move be also my least favorite move? How so? It's a little tricky, and that's fans might hate this because I kind of hate it, but I'm going <laughs> to say it. I think my favorite move is Ozuna to the Braves. Marcelo Ozuna to the Braves. I think that is a player that plugs and plays with them very nicely, pairing with uh, Acuna Jr. out there in the outfield. It's a great hitter. I think he also crushes the Nats, except from the postseason, obviously, in the NLCS. Um, Plays solid defense. I I think that is a great replacement for the Braves for losing Josh Donaldson. Uh, I think he's going to— work out really well for the Braves and be a, an impact player for them throughout the season. Obviously, health be, being there throughout the whole course of the of, of the year. Um, I think that's a really, in terms of that's I think to me that's a really good move on a baseball standpoint. From a fan standpoint, I hate it because that's right. another great player in my division that I have to play 19 times that can tear up the league um, and, and my pitching staff. Um, but I think that's a really smart move on the Braves. Um, I think my least favorite, though, on, on that note, It's probably Josh Donaldson to the Twins. I mean, that's a lot of money. And we talked about this when we're teetering with the idea of him coming to the Nationals or the Nationals going after him. Uh, That's a lot of money committing to an older guy. Yeah, sure, you get a couple of really solid years from him, both offensively and defensively. But the later half of that contract, one, the production might not be anywhere near what you're paying for. And two, it might be hard to ship them off, get rid right. of them. So that's just going to be, I think the twins are kind of in win now mode, yeah. which makes sense as a team like that, who hasn't won in a long time, hasn't been there in a long time, even in the conversation. Um, they've got the players, the pieces around them. That team is going to be really good. The AL central could be really good this year, but I think that that's going to be a, uh, a contract that might bite them in the long
0: run. I think definitely. And I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think they know that, but I yeah. think they are willing to take on the if risk. It,
1: if it, Results in a World Series title, by all means. Yeah. If but it
0: results in them just beating the Yankees in the playoffs, that's <laughs> all they need to do. Yeah. If they could do that, then I think they would be happy.
1: Another one I actually love is uh, actually, because you mentioned the Yankees, is Garrett Cole to the Yankees. I mean, I know it's a lot of money. It's a lot of years for one player, but that is someone that the Yankees have needed for a long time. That front line ace, Cy Young caliber pitcher. They have the bats. They have the fielding behind them. They have experienced arms still in the rotation of left over, but adding Garrett Cole to that rotation, I think makes them a front runner for the world series.
0: Yeah. It's a perfect match of player and team. And it's all,
1: right. Game. Yeah. And they have the means to pay him that much. So it like, even if they don't win a world series with them, it's not like, it's not
0: going to kill the Yankees. Yeah. Um, although I'm I'm certain that uh, Yankees fans might disagree.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, they'll be butthurt about yeah. it. But I mean,
0: yeah. Uh, in terms of the worst move, I'm going to keep it in the NLE. So I'm going to go with Zach Wheeler to the Phillies. Uh, that was one of mine too. Five years, 118 million. I think it it pairs with the Bumgarner move because I think the Diamondbacks got a better pitcher in Bumgarner for what's 118 minus 85, uh, 30 million, 33 million dollars yeah. less. So you know, I think that's. The, the guy has been injury prone he was what the four starter on a very good but fourth starter on a Mets rotation on an underwhelming Mets rotation yeah um so you know i I just don't I don't see that working out too well in the long term maybe not even in the short term the Phillies I think want to get over that hump and I don't think they have nearly enough to to overtake the two teams. Ahead of them, and three teams, the Mets finished ahead of them in the in the division last That's year. True. So,
1: yeah. and, and what has Zach Wheeler done compared to Madison Bumgarner to exactly, com- command yeah. that much? I mean, no,
0: he's pitched less. He's had you know never pitched in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I don't think, or maybe he did with uh, years ago. I mean, he never won a World Series MVP. No. Um Yeah, it, to me, it doesn't. It, he's a little bit younger, but he's still 29, 30 years old. Doesn't make much sense.
1: I think we were again. I think that Mets rotation has been so underwhelming over the past couple of years with him, Syndergaard and Degrom, they were supposed to be so much better than they ever were. Degrom obviously has won his Cy uh, Youngs and 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 been phenomenal, but Syndergaard and, and Wheeler just never reached the peak that they thought they were going to. Um, and, and of yet, course Harvey. And yeah, <laughs> that too. And I just, I mean, I yeah, I just don't understand. That's why he was kind of one. Of, I was like, what has he done to earn 118 million dollars? I mean, yeah, he's young and he's spent over a couple of years, and the, the, the Phillies need starting pitching. But I, I just don't I don't I don't see how that's going to pay out in terms of division championships and playoff
0: appearances. Yeah. But let us know what you think in terms yeah. of best best and worst moves of the off season, both with the Nationals and around baseball.
1: Yeah. And then uh, next week, like I said, we'll tackle who are the most improved and uh, maybe teams that took a step back overall in baseball as we get closer and closer to spring training. 14 days. 14 days until baseball. I had my grandmother call me last night. She's like, "When does baseball come back, Nana?" 14 days. You got two weeks and it'll be right here. Enjoy the Super (laughs) Bowl this weekend, and then baseball is right around the corner, um, which also means warmer weather. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time of year. It's always crazy how, like, NFL playoffs, NFL playoffs, Super Bowl, baseball. It's yep. just that's how the calendar works, and it's, it's, it's so exciting. Um, so it, you don't have to wait that much longer. Obviously, follow along with us at Paul Mancondo on Twitter, at Bobby underscore Blanco for myself. You can also follow all the Mass and Nationals accounts across the board. And thank you for following the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Of course, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook as well. For Mass and All Access and Mass and Nationals. We want to thank Hannah Broder for behind the scenes work, uh, working the cameras. We really appreciate the, the time and effort. Um, and she did a great job. Great job. And she gave us a thumbs up and <laughs> the hands. Put your hands back on the board there. <laughs> Focus. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening and, and tuning in. And we will catch you next week.